Melanie Wilkie, and I hate lies. I hate them because when they're present, believed, and taken as truth, they undermine confidence, rob opportunity, and seed confusion, misunderstanding, and broken relationships. Lies can even kill. Lies take where the truth brings life. But this podcast exists to fight the lies that bind, to reveal truth, and to see wholeness restored to places of brokenness. Welcome back once again to the Fighting Lies podcast. My name is Melanie Wilkie and I am your host. And today we're going to be looking back at a topic that I had promised before we were going to dive into. And that was the lie that we can love God and hate his people. Now, you can bet that over the course of my lifetime, both during my unsaved seasons and my saved seasons, I have just had so many conversations with so many people over the years about this very topic, about um, a woundedness that can come from uh, different types of encounters with Christ followers or people who are in the church um, And I just think it's important to be honest and say that those conversations are really important. They're really precious. And um, truthfully, they're just really near and dear to God's heart because God's love for humanity is unchanging. I actually, and it's true that as believers in Christ, as Christ followers, um, we're ambassadors for him in the world. We carry the gospel of Jesus in our hearts and our minds. We our representatives of who he is were a picture of the goodness of God in the world. And so the calling upon the life of a believer in Christ is actually just so significant. It's, um, it's a communication. It's an expression of the goodness of God in the world. And, um, yeah, our testimonies really matter whether or not we are following him or not. If we're calling on the name of the Lord, if we're calling ourselves by the name of the Lord, Um, how we live really matters. Now, I want to clarify that statement by saying this. We don't earn our salvation by our works. And this is a huge distinction that I think can be made between Christianity, true Christ-following believers, and um, really any other world religion that I can think of at this point. Um, It True faith in Christ is not a works-based situation, except that we do have to choose, and our work is to choose faith in Christ himself and to throw ourselves on the mercy of his sacrifice for us. That's the, that's the work that we do to access our faith and our, and our salvation and relationship with God. Whereas I can't think of a a different world religion that doesn't place all the weight of, and I'm using air quotes when I say this, salvation upon works and doing this or doing that. Um, Faith in Christ is very different from this. That being said, the great lie, uh, a great lie, 
even among the body of believers is that we practice a, a works-based salvation. And one of these days we're going to talk about that live, uh, but not today. However, um, our behavior and the way that we minister in the world super matters um, because, again, we are made in the image of God. We are the image bearers of God. We know this from Genesis chapter 1. And so we can quickly become those who misrepresent the testimony of God, the person of God, um, by behaving in a way that is unlike him. And of course, this happens when we put our own nature first, when we are self-centered people instead of selfless people, when we are egocentric, when we care more about our own resources or our own um, motivations and our own even just wants, needs, or desires, when we stop putting Christ first in our lives, these are the things that kind of take place that we're going to serve somebody, uh, Paul says in Romans 16, it's either going to be the Lord Jesus or our belly. And of course, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 24, he says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. In other words, guys, you got to pick, you got to choose who you're going to serve. And when we take our eyes off Jesus and, and acting out of love and, and passion for his goodness towards us, then we end up serving mammon. We end up serving our own belly. We end up serving ourselves. And that is when our testimony in Christ really goes off the rails because it's actually no longer actually a testimony of Christ. It becomes a testimony of our own personal um, pursuits. And as you can imagine, that doesn't represent the Lord well at all. So the trajectory of our heart towards the Lord is visible, whether we want to admit it or not. Um, if the trajectory of our heart is away from God, it will automatically be seen and visibly um, revealed to be such that the trajectory of our heart and our mind then turns to our own selfish ambitions or whatever. But if our the trajectory of our heart is towards God, and then we're going to continue walking. In fact, we're going to walk more and more so in the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, and um, the ministry of the hands and feet that we offer to the Lord is going to be a great testimony to the goodness and the kindness of God more and more so every day. So whether or not we mean to give ourselves away, I just want you to know we're going to give ourselves away in this area. And this is how Jesus can say that we will know them by their fruits, that we'll be able to discern his children um, by the fruitfulness of their lives. What is the evidence? He says a good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. So um, we'll look at the fruit and be able to discern uh, the trajectory of heart, be able to discern whether or not that heart is godly or not. Um, and so, again, we, we need to know these things. We need to understand that these are truths that Jesus spoke for a reason. Um, and they have significant implications for our lives, the lives of our friendships, the lives of our families, and so on and so forth. Now, I interrupt this podcast production moment to let you know that if you're hearing 
some tapping on the audio today. It is compliments of Smoot and Ollie, our household's resident labradoodles and sheepadoodle, because they are having a grand and jolly time playing in the room next door, and somehow they continue <laughs> to make this tapping sound. So please forgive and welcome Smoot and Ollie to the show today. I don't rule out barking for the record. There could also be some barking that shows up, so stay tuned. So all of this to say this, it is literally, and Jesus says, um, it's impossible that no offenses should come. Why? Because we're human and we make mistakes um, and we make poor choices and we are offensive. Let's just be honest with ourselves and others today by saying that um, because of the struggle between um, self and the loving kindness of the Lord and, and reflecting that towards others, it's a constant struggle. Um, some days self wins, and some situations self wins, and so some moments self wins, and we act out of self, and we act out of um, selfish ambition or wrath or strife or gossip or whatever it is that we engage in that day. And so it is literally impossible that no offenses should come. But Jesus is very clear as he continues in Luke chapter 17 as he discusses this uh, notion of offenses. He says, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. And he says in verse 3, Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. There was the bark for you. And actually, I should be fair and say that Smoot and Ollie are not the only dogs in this house. There is also a very, very old lady, a Cavalier Spaniel named Charlie, and she's the quiet one. So um, she got left out of the introduction because she was actually being good. So my apologies. I'd like to also just give credit to little old lady Charlie today, who is, is the good dog amongst the rabble rousers. But back to the word of the Lord. <laughs> there are just a couple of really important things that we have to touch on before we move on um, from Luke chapter 17. And that is obviously the Lord is acknowledging the role of offense in the world. It's, it's, a, it's an outcome of free will and misuse of free will. Um, to walk away from God's word and to not live his word is to actually just inject strife and hurt into the world. We've talked about that on many different occasions in this podcast. But he says specifically here, woe to him through whom the offense comes. He's saying that God knows the difference. Um, he sees the offense and he sees the offender. And woe to him who provides offense or injects offense into the world. Um, he says it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. In the sight of God, offense is, a, is significant. It matters. And the Lord will sort it. 
one of the things that we tend to think when we're in a situation where we're the offended is that God does not care about what has happened to us. And the opposite is actually incredibly true. And Jesus is very clear about that. Um, the offender is not unknown to God. The offense is not unknown to God. And it will have significant ramifications for that one through whom the offense came. Jesus so eloquently frames this for us in Matthew chapter 5 um, in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 29 says, If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Jesus is really super direct here. And what is he saying? He's saying, you know, evaluate. And, and he says in Luke chapter 17, take heed to yourselves. Know who you are. Know what you're about. Know what you're up to. Don't be ignorant of our own devices or the devices of our hearts and our minds. Our actions matter. And Jesus says, now that you've taken action to evaluate, um, here in Matthew chapter 5, he says, deal with the thing that is creating offense and sin in your life. Cut it off. It's better for you that a, a single member perish than for a whole body to be cast into hell. So, I mean, I don't honestly know, guys, if we can get more direct than this. Jesus is very plain. Um, we're to take heed to ourselves. We're to know the state of our heart and our mind. We're to know the position of our heart, the motives by which we're operating. And we're to evaluate really the fruit of our own heart and our minds and our lives. And if we see corruption, we need to deal with the corruption at the root. Um, because if we don't, we're just going to continue to um, operate out of offense and, and wounding towards those around us and create a situation where not only is um, our testimony marred, but the, the nature and character of God are, are really maligned at that point, especially as we continue to claim or tell ourselves and others that we are in Christ and yet we're behaving in these ways that are so ungodly and dishonorable to, um, to him and to the, those around us. It's such a big deal, actually. It's a super really big deal. I can't help but think of the accountability, I'm using air quotes you can't see, of social media and telephones and cameras. You know, <laughs> how many times have we joked about, you know, being in a viral video because of a, a rant or some sort of misadventure. Um, but the reality is that even if in a rant or some sort of offensive situation that we're the root of the offense, it it's much bigger deal that God sees than it is that, that even the whole world sees in a viral video. I just, I, I don't think that we can overstate the importance of knowing that God is, he's ever present. He's all knowing. And while we may feel justified, we're not in unloving and ungracious and ungodly behavior. We're not justified ever. And God sees. Um, and there is a level of holy fear that comes from an understanding of this that I think is super important for us to take with us everywhere we go. 
it's a much bigger deal that I that my God knows the heart of me and the person of me and the condition of me and the the actions of my own than it is if even the world were to see them. Much, much bigger deal. So something interesting for us to remember, even in this culture of you know, constant observation. So now that we've kind of covered this ground on the importance of our own person, our own testimony, calling ourselves a believer in Christ and yet falling away from that in our actions and in our heart and in our trajectory of our spirit, um, we really now can start talking about the flip side of that, which is, you know, those that we have created offense in or when we are the ones who have been hurt, wounded, or offended by others who have represented themselves as godly and yet have behaved in an ungodly fashion. Because inevitably, guys, we're going to be on both sides of this coin. We're going to find ourselves in both scenarios. It's just what it is. Some days we'll be the offender and some day we'll be the one that's offended. Now, before we really super jump into this, or I guess at the start of jumping into this, I want to take a look at Revelation chapter 21. Um, in a section of scripture known as the Great White Throne Judgment, starting in verse 11, it says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, as always, there's just so much more here to unpack than we can today. It seems like we're always... um, I'm always kicking something down the road to talk about, and that's probably just fine, but um, this is definitely one of those things where there's so much to unpack. But um, the the point that I want to make as we kind of kick off this last piece of the conversation today is that, again, God sees, and the book of life is those who's, um, who are found in Christ, true Christ followers, absolutely true Christ followers who love the Lord, their God, with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love their neighbor as themselves. Those who follow the, the words of the Lord that we're going to talk about here in just a minute, those are the ones that are found written in the book of life. The Lamb's book of life, those who are covered by the blood of Jesus and have walked in, in genuine faith towards him. And the Holy Spirit really brings these verses to mind because there's a goal in front of us. There's a there's a moment in time that awaits each and every one of us in which we're sorted, whether our name is in or out of the Lamb's Book of Life. And the decisions that we make today are going to impact that ultimate outcome, that ultimate moment. Um, because it's clear in verse 15, it says, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. There's a decision making, there's a reckoning. And the most important thing that each and every one of us can do is to make sure that we stand in Christ on that day. 
And of course, we understand from the gospel that this is God's heart for us. He desires us to have our names written in the book. Now, I just want to, I want to underscore this by, by being very clear that it is God's will and desire and his, his heart that everyone come to faith in Christ and be reconciled to him. As the Apostle Peter makes abundantly clear to us in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, where he says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Lord God is not willing that any should perish. Not any. Not any. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And let's not ever forget those precious words in James chapter 1, among many others in scripture that I'm not listing here. James chapter 1, verse 16, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation nor shadow of turning. God does not change. His position on this matter will not change. It is not his desire that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus says in Revelation Chapter 4, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father in his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The Lord's desire is for us to be with him, to be reconciled, to experience his loving kindness, his grace, his mercy, um, the comfort of his presence, the joy of dining with him. Um, Reconciliation and salvation are the heart of God towards man, period. End of story. That's just it. It is the Lord's will that each and every one of us find our names written in the Lamb's book of life. And so why? Why go down this road today? Well, it's really simple. Because whichever side of the coin that we find ourselves on in conflict or offense in a church scenario with a, with a person of faith, each and every single one of us always needs to keep in mind that reconciliation is the goal and that God's heart is forgiveness but that our free will will determine our own situation just as much as it will determine the situation of the offender in our lives. We have the power to choose between the reconciliation that God intends or the division and destruction that the enemy of our souls would deliver. And the Lord will not invalidate or interrupt our ability to utilize free will to pick which side that we will land on. I will literally never stop going back to Deuteronomy chapter 30 
verse 19, where Moses says, hey, I set before you today blessing and cursing. I set before you life and death. And he says, choose life. I, I, that verse of scripture that is a constant call in my heart and my mind, the, the cry of God's heart towards me, towards you, towards everyone in this great world that he created is to choose life. And this is how we do it. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. I'm going to read that again. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And the apostle John tells us in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, that his commandments are not burdensome. Let's not forget what Jesus says in Mark chapter 12 in response to the question of the scribes who came and asked, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him in verse 29 saying, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. In the Apostle Matthew's account of this very same conversation in chapter 22, Jesus makes clear when he says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. They are literally the fulfillment of the whole law. Why? As Paul explains in Romans chapter 13, verse 10, because love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And so we know with certainty that love is the answer that we all need. In order to avoid being the offender, I must love. In order to avoid being the offended, I must love. 1 John 2, verse 3 says, Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. And he goes on to say, He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. And here we really start honing in on the truth that we cannot love God and hate his people, even those who have caused great offense and strife among us. If we say that we abide in him, we are to walk just as he walked. So how did he walk? Well, straight to the cross on behalf of those who had spit upon him mocked him, scourged him, and crucified him. To the cross where he willingly gave his life to save the sinner and set the captive free. To the cross where he literally hung and still cried out to the Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, as we see in Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Who was he talking about? Who was he praying for? The Jews, those around him who had lifted him up to be crucified as a sacrifice for the whole world. 
guys, I have to be honest. Their motivations were twisted, wicked, and wrong. And yet Jesus gave all for them. Sound familiar? Yeah, to me too. Paul puts it so beautifully in Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 10, when he says, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the reconciliation. Not missing verse 6 that says, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, that in while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus loved the offender to the death. He died to reconcile them back to God. He gave everything so that we could have everything. And we can never forget Jesus is our pattern. He tells us in Matthew chapter 5 to love our enemies, to bless those who curse us, to do good to those who hate us, and to pray for those who spitefully use us and persecute us. Why? In verse 45, he specifically says that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Our Father in heaven is perfect and demonstrates a perfect love for humanity, despite us. And so, he says, be perfect like our Father is perfect. And he not only calls us to it, but through Christ, he gives us the power to do it. Now, I think I've mentioned here before that if I could ever have a coffee date with a New Testament character outside of Jesus himself, it would be the Apostle John. I just love, 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 love the Apostle John. So grateful for all of his wonderful writings and the and the revelation of mystery that God gave to John to deliver to us. It's so precious, precious, precious. But I just want to really land here in the book of 1 John because it is so profound and really drives home the point, the truth that opposes the lie that I can love God and hate his people. And I think it's just such a precious place for us to kind of wrap things up today. And I just want to read again a verse from 1 John chapter 1, several verses, where John says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all of our sins. 
faith in Christ that delivers us from the darkness gives us a blessed assurance of the forgiveness of our own sins and of the fellowship that is restored between one of us and another. To walk in the light as he is in the light changes every relationship that we have for the better. And what about this darkness he's talking about? If we say we love him and yet we walk in darkness, we're lying and not practicing the truth. What does that mean? It means that if we say we love him, but we're walking outside of his commandments, away from them instead of towards them, then we're not being honest with ourselves or anyone else either. John tells us in chapter 3 of 1 John verse 7, let little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. But he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. We are either going to find ourselves in the light or in the darkness as we walk. And remember, we get to choose which one it's going to be. And we can tell ourselves as much as we want that we're walking in the light, but if we're still truly walking in darkness, then we lie to ourselves and the truth, God's word, is not in us. He continues in verse 10 of chapter 3 by saying, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. He carries on in verse 13 by saying, Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. I interject here to say, I hope you can see that loving our brother is a sign. He carries on and says, He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. But in verse 16, he reassures, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And once again, in chapter 4 of 1 John, starting in verse 7, he reiterates, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. There's a gentleman in our church, shout out to Phil today, who often loves to say that if God is forgiven him, his $10,000 worth of sins, then he also should forgive the buck 99 of sins that his brother has wronged him in. 
And let's never, ever, ever forget Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 14, where he says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So you see, forgiveness is actually not even optional. Forgiveness is a requirement. Let's never forget that forgiveness is the very foundation upon which each and every one of us stands in the first place. God's forgiveness of us is what has translated us out of the kingdom of darkness and into his glorious light. Without it, each and every one of us would simply be lost. Forgiveness leads to reconciliation, which is the heart of the gospel of Jesus. And in case you're wondering if this is only a New Testament phenomenon, I request and respectfully suggest that you read through the book of Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and Exodus as the Lord lays out his great plan of salvation through the Levitical law. Why would I point you this direction? Because through the law and the sacrifices contained therein, we begin to see that God leaves nothing out, that he makes sure to provide atonement for every single kind of sin that mankind can experience and express in the world because his commitment to our restoration, salvation, and reconciliation to himself and to those around us is absolutely 100% complete. He is committed to reconciliation, and as we operate in his image in this world, we must be committed to reconciliation as well. For our own peace, for our own freedom, for our own reconciliation, and for that of those who have hurt and wounded and offended us as well. Now, I know what you're thinking because I've been in places where I've been thinking it too. How in the world is this even possible? How can I recover from the hurts and the wounds that have been inflicted upon me, upon my family, by those who have called themselves Christ followers in the past? How do I move on when the offender in my life is perhaps being platformed or um, celebrated or promoted in their positions while having not ever sought reconciliation for themselves. How, 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 how do we love our enemies? Well, I'm going to give you the long and the short of it here. The short of it is through God's word. That's right. It's just that simple. Choosing to accept, receive, and act in and upon God's precious word will result in reconciliation, forgiveness, and freedom for all of those involved as they engage it. But again, free will is always lurking. And will they? Will I? Those are decisions that we have to make for ourselves. But I can promise you this. If we choose to continue to live in the lie that we can love God and hate his people, we will miss out 
on the freedom and forgiveness that God intended for us, and we will 100% miss out on the reconciliation and restoration that God had intended for our lives and the lives of those involved in our situation. Without God's word, there is absolutely no way to arrive at a godly outcome. But with it and through it, all things that seem impossible are made possible in God. For today, I want to encourage you to take a hold of the truth that you cannot love God and hate his people, but that through God, you can love his people, even those who have wounded, persecuted, and wrongfully used you. Because Jesus said it could be done, it can be done. And living it will bring such tremendous freedom and joy to your life that it will literally knock your socks off. Now, I'm going to say something here that I haven't talked about a lot before. And that is that I've been here. I've been in a place of hating the people of God because of wrongs done, offenses, and insults added to injury when nothing in any of the circumstances that I've been a part of has ever been made right. And truthfully, the temptation to go back to that place presents itself every single day. But God's word, that's right, God's word has made all the difference in my life. And this is how I know that it will and can make all the difference in your life if you decide to receive it. If you decide to boot the lie that you can love God and hate his people and walk in the truth that loving God means loving his people, you too can be free like I stand free today. Now, most of you probably know that out of the healing that I received through God's word, a course has been written and I kind of like it because it set me free a Bible-based course called When Church Hurts, Restoration and Redemption for Those Wounded by the Church. I'm excited to say that the workbook for this class is getting ready to self-publish through Amazon and Barnes and & Noble, and I can't wait to make that announcement to you at a date soon coming. And I also want you to know that I'll be working on video recording the class so that it can be taken anytime, anywhere at your convenience. But for the moment, I just want you to know that freedom and healing are real, and the Lord is able to produce them in you, even in situations where you may have been left with a true and genuine hatred for those who call themselves Christ followers, and yet have participated in hurtful, demeaning, and splintering activities that you have watched wreck your own life and the lives of those around you. God sees, he cares, and he is present to bring healing and restoration to your life through his precious and powerful word, should you choose to receive it. Now, you need to know you don't need to take the class in order to have life and that more abundant. It might help, but you don't have to have it in that particular order. But what I do want to encourage you to do is this. Dig deep into God's word. 
Listen to this episode a few times over as much as it takes for you to receive the truth that you are capable of loving even the most unlovable because Jesus has done the same for you. Walk through the scriptures. Look at Jesus' instructions as to how to deal with conflict in our lives. Because I got to tell you, he's been very clear and he has not minced words about how it is that we are to deal with these situations in our world. And here's the kicker. As you read, as you explore, receive his word and commit to following it and see what he does in your life that is so much more powerful than anything you could ever have imagined. And so for today, the Lord bless you. May you be encouraged today that the God of the impossible is operating in and through you by his great and powerful word. And may you receive everything that it has to offer for your own healing, restoration, and life-giving purposes that only he can know the extent of. I welcome you to reach out to me with any thoughts, questions, concerns, or even complaints. And you can reach me at fightingliespodcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, I just want to encourage you to join me again next time, Lord willing, it will be next week, as we explore the truth that debunks the lie that being a good person is definitely enough. Also, stay tuned next week for the debut of Questioning the Lies, bonus episodes in the form of conversation between my sweet friend Hannah Vale and myself about God's word, its implications, and episodes as we go. Until then, be blessed in the Lord Jesus and take the glory of the gospel with you wherever you go. I am praying for you. Please be in prayer for me and for one another, and I'll see you next time. This podcast is written and produced by me, Melanie Wilkie, with original music by Mimic the Mind and Blue Marigold.